2: Hello, welcome to the New Books in Genocide Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, it is my honor to be in dialogue with Katerina Chapkova and Eliana Adler. Katerina is a senior researcher at the Institute of Contemporary History in Prague. She also teaches at Charles University and NYU, New York University in Prague. Eliana Adler is an associate professor in the Department of History and the Program in Jewish Studies at Pennsylvania State University. They are the editors of the newly published volume, Jewish and Romani Families in the Holocaust and its Aftermath, published by Rutgers University Press 2021. Thank you for your time today. It is my absolute honor to be in dialogue with you, and I feel sincerely blessed.
0: Thank you so much for your invitation. To
2: begin, can you tell us about yourselves? Where did you grow up? What formative events in your lives catalyzed the scholars you would become as adults?
1: So um, I grew up in Northern California. My family moved there because uh, my father was a history professor, got a job there. So I I was surrounded to some degree by history and it's always been an interest of mine. Um, but I, I think having a family member in the field made it seem possible even that it was a something that one could legitimately do. And um, I, I study East European Jewish history, and that comes from a number of different reasons. But I, I would say I, I became aware when I was in college of just the sort of sense of a a missing connection, that is, be, because of the Holocaust a break between um, American Jews and their past and a lot of holes to be filled in to understand uh, what life was like and where people came from. And that seemed like an interesting and important
0: direction for me.
2: Thank you for sharing that. Katerina, can I ask you?
0: Um, so I was born in Prague uh, in the early 1970s, which means that um, I spent my childhood and uh, majority of my teenage in communist Czechoslovakia, and that definitely had an impact on my all, whole life. Uh, my father was a Protestant pastor or minister, and my mother was a psychologist for children, and they were both anti-communist. So uh, I, from the very early, years of my life uh, we uh, we were uh, four children of us uh, so we grew up in uh, uh, the knowledge that we are under dictatorship and that um, that uh, we are persecuted as, as Christians uh, and also that we have to live in lies that was really a very important experience that I am to some extent actually happy to have because uh, I experienced also the end of the of, of communism that uh, I experienced this uh, living in lies, living in propaganda uh, um, and uh, uh, at, at school especially, we were taught lies uh, about uh, not only present times like that the uh, communist party is the best uh, but also about past uh, for example about 1968 uh we were taught that uh, that was the year when uh, soviet union and warsaw pact uh, uh, saved us from uh, uh, from the capitalists and uh, uh, and it was great that at home I I could discuss that with my parents, who explained to me that that um, 1968 was the best year of of their lives because of Prague Spring, and that they experienced uh, democracy, uh, limited one, but the freedom of speech. So I think this was uh, also uh, an experience which brought me to history to to understand the different interpretations and to go into the sources.
2: Thank you for sharing that. What would you like listeners to get out of our dialogue today?
1: Well, in terms of our book, I would say there's really two main ideas that make it new, that that we hope that people, readers, listeners will get out of it. And I'm sure we'll talk more about both of them. The first one is, of course, just the family lens sort of the idea that thinking about the past using the perspective of family has something to offer that we gain from it and the second one is putting into conversation Jewish and Romani experiences of the Holocaust in Europe again that we we learn more or we have the potential to when we do that, and, and this is both of these, I, I think, are relevant to our scholarship and very much also
0: to our teaching.
2: What inspired you to prepare this book? What message do you hope to convey to readers?
0: So for the book, there was a conference that Eliana and I organized in May 2017, I think. Uh It was... um Uh, The conference had uh, a similar title. It was uh, called The Holocaust and its Aftermath from the family perspective. And in the call for papers, we emphasized that we encourage uh, scholars to focus not only on Jewish history, but also on Romani cases. Um, What followed was uh, quite a surprise for us because uh, uh, there was an enormous interest uh, we were really um, uh, shocked by the number of applications which obviously show that the topic uh, has a potential and uh, is it is is starts a fruitful discussion. And we were also um, amazed by the creativity or the ways how scholars... Uh, approach this topic um, uh, from very different and uh, sometimes really very innovative uh, uh, point of views. And so uh, it was extremely hard to choose only a few of the applications for the conference, which um, lasted only two days. And then out of these uh, contributions, we, um, we have chosen uh, some of the uh, scores we asked for for um, to to write to write a study for for uh, the book because uh, after the conference we were quite sure that this should not uh, be end of of our discussion but uh, that um, we think uh, uh, our results should be should be published. So this was also how uh, how the team was established. It was uh, an open call for papers, and uh, what was very important for us uh, um, and was uh, also that not only that there were few but still some uh, some uh, uh, abstracts uh, related to Romani history, but also that uh, there was a number of uh, excellent uh, applications from scholars from central and eastern europe who use the the, the local archives uh, they have material which uh, nobody has uh, discussed before or has read before and uh, i think that makes also our volume quite unique
2: can you summarize your book for us what are the most
1: important ideas in your book the book begins with uh, an introduction, which really lays out what we hope to gain from the family perspective and suggests some methodological approaches and where we've seen um, elsewhere. We've read, you know, other works that use these kind of methods and ask these kinds of questions, and then. The rest of the book is case studies, so and it's quite a diverse group in terms of geography, um, methods, disciplines, uh, languages used. The, um, the papers are are quite distinct, and they come from all over Europe, and they used a real diversity of sources, but they all put. Uh, questions about the family at the center, and thus they are in dialogue with one another, even though they are uh, very different in many ways.
2: How did the two of you meet? Can you tell the story?
1: We actually met at a conference. Um, We just happened to both be in the same panel, and we walked out of it somewhat frustrated and got to talking and on the spot pretty much without knowing each other, without having read each other's work, without having any kind of recommendations or sense of one another, except for just that initial interaction. We basically made a decision that, first of all, that this a family perspective was lacking and that the papers that we had just heard would have benefited. But secondly, we made a decision that we were actually going to make a conference about it. And after that first meeting we went our separate ways um but continued to keep in touch and managed to raise some money and make some plans and it happened that we were both going to be in central europe in you know the following year and um the conference and then the volume came out of that serendipity
2: why did you choose to focus on family how does a perspective that emphasizes family differ from a perspective that focuses on gender as an analytical lens. Can you elaborate on this?
1: First of all, I would say that the perspective emphasizing family comes out of gender studies, that it becomes possible to think in these ways and to have the tools to study the family because of how much we've all learned in recent decades uh, from the introduction of gender studies to so many Academic fields. Um, So I I see them very much as complementary. I I think um, there have been some people who were concerned that in some ways family studies was trying to compete with um, gender or supplant it in some way. And that is not at all the case. It's all about, you know, we need all the tools we can. To understand the past, and if we have these collaborative, multi-directional, multidisciplinary methods, we all benefit and learn more. I would say that um, th- one of certainly wh- one of the things that I've learned from applying this uh, family perspective is that individuals who are alone. Um, and who talk about themselves in their testimonies and write about themselves in their memoirs or who in the documents appear to be alone, in in certain ways are, genuinely are alone, but often also have networks, um, families that are part of their experience, part of their experience before the war, during the war, and after the war, and that recognizing those ties helps to understand parts of their experience decisions that they made um and how the war affected them and the genocide affected them uh, in some really profound ways
2: thank you for sharing that how do you define family in this project what does the term family include and exclude
0: well, i think from the beginning when we discussed uh, eliana and i this 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 concept of the conference and later of the book, um, it was uh, obvious to us that this concept could be also criticized because uh, some uh, people, especially uh, based on their experience of how family is discussed in in uh, political debates, uh, uh, that uh, family is sometimes uh, seen as a as a conservative. Concept of heterosexual couple with children, and that uh, we uh, might have this this uh, this concept in mind. Uh, but this is not true at all. Uh, we try to to explain that in the introduction that our concept of family is uh, as open as possible, meaning that we are very flexible in a, in. A, a, accepting any relations like a partner's relation or relation to, with children uh, and not only this uh, as uh, our book uh, shows we also are open to uh, to concepts uh, 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 that uh, is developed especially in the chapter of Natalia Alexion about surrogate families about people who were in her in her chapter it's about people who were for quite some time together in hiding and uh, therefore developed a relationship very close to uh one um, where you have somebody as a relative and uh, uh so so we are very flexible in this and open and i think uh, it is a pity that sometimes the family the term family is is uh, understood in a very narrow definition because i think it's uh, it's uh, it's a word we are all using and uh, uh, we should not change the word but rather uh, expand the the open the 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 definition of it the other thing i would like to uh, mention is that we also do not glorify family Uh, i think um, there are of course, uh, many uh, cases were, and countless cases of, of uh, uh, sacrifice for, for family members, for a partner in the Jewish or Romani context. But at the same time, we also uh, do not hide the, the negative sides, and that uh, family can be also burdened for uh, an individual. And this is discussed especially in the very unique uh, study we have in the book uh, written by Michal Ungar from Israel uh, about uh, divorces in ghettos in uh, in Ruch and in Warsaw, uh, where she uh, analyzes uh, cases or some people, because of of this drastic living conditions, and were uh, it's about survival. Some of them rather decide to be egoistic and actually and uh, even uh, use the portions of food for from from the family members. So So uh, this is uh, and there are other examples of this uh, this uh, being uh, uh, in re- relations with, with somebody in the family, is, is forming is is um, also um, so, so. another trage- tragedy. <laughs> uh, another art uh, um, chapter in our book uh, deals uh, also with uh, uh, this negative side of of uh, having family networks. It's uh, the study of Joachim Schler, who uh, discusses uh, family in Germany. Uh, where uh, the daughter. Um, besides because of the conflict with the family, to uh, to go to uh, exile in, in Great Britain. And she's um, seen by the family as a, as a traitor, and as a, it's, uh, as a, yeah, the whole um, trip of hers is, is seen as betrayal. But when the war starts, it's exactly this one one member of the family who who is a hope uh, for the whole um uh, for all those uh, uh relatives and uh, even if she also has uh, such a negative experience with the family from the pre war she uh, she decides of course to do her best to help them out.
2: thank you. In what ways did family considerations influence the decisions that Romani and Jewish survivors and victims made during the Holocaust?
1: I think there are so many ways that family influenced decisions throughout and as well as before and after. Um, I I can give an example from my own work, um, and this relates to um, we discuss it in the introduction, it also relates to some of the papers, but decisions about flight. Um, often, it, the decisions, well, first of all, it's, it's hard to understand the choices people had just with the, the heaviness of our backshadowing. It, it's so hard to understand what they knew and didn't know, what the conditions under which they were facing their questions. But even if we can wrap our minds around that, sometimes it is very hard to understand the choices that people made, that they don't make sense according to our terms, if we think of individuals sometimes as individuals. But when we place them within a family, we can at times understand their decisions differently. And here again, I don't want to glorify or justify, but just provide, I think, important context in some cases. So for example, with Um, many young Polish Jewish men who fled in 1939 with the dual invasions, who fled eastward into Soviet territory. Um, In some cases, they did so just to save themselves and to get away. Um, But in many cases, uh, they did so as part of decisions with their nuclear family, with their extended family debates over who would be targeted and how they would be targeted and what was the best chance for the whole family or at least some parts of it to survive, to get through this. And so sending young men, sending all men, sending all young people across the border into Soviet territory was sometimes a a family strategy which at times meant just go and be safe, or at times it meant go and find out what the conditions are and decide if we should all join you or if you should come back. And sometimes those later steps weren't possible. But, um, but we can see how when we pay attention to these questions and ask them and bring them to the sources, we can see how much uh, import family had in people's lives and decisions.
2: To what degree was the family a specific target of German wartime policies?
1: Uh, To me, this is one of the examples of, and I I know this is uh, a genocide studies forum, um, the ways in which the study of the Holocaust and of genocide studies can really inform one another the um german policies before the war and during the war very much targeted families and again it, it if we bring that perspective sometimes it changes how we view that is taking men away for labor or um early killings or um incarcerations sure that did have the effect of taking away the defenses of the people, making them less able to take care of themselves physically speaking, that is taking away young men who could have possibly provided some physical protection. But it also very much attacked the family as an institution, attacked the bonds of the family and the ways in which emotionally families function and support one another. And we can see that in the some of the nazi laws and policies already in the very early 30s the ways in which the family was gradually of these people deemed to be enemies of the state their families were pulled apart were weakened were humiliated the bonds destroyed as a way of weakening their entire communities societies and ability to survive what would come later
2: the fact that you included Roma and Romani perspectives and history in your book makes it a real gem. Why did you decide to focus on Roma and Romani here?
0: I think it has to do with the concept of family. So if we uh, if we think about uh, communities that were targeted uh, as a whole, as a really from the babies uh, to the elderly people, uh, this, uh, this was uh, the case uh, of uh, the Jewish community and uh, the different communities of Roma and Sinti. So this is uh, why we thought uh, uh, they definitely have to be included. And uh, uh, I think, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, Yes, our book is one of the first that uh, makes uh, this uh, uh, that that combines uh, research on Roma and on on Jews. But in the future, I very much hope that this will be actually will will become a standard, (laughs) because I think uh, it's really. uh, obvious that uh, if we focus on racial victims of of nazism uh it's uh it's romani and and jewish people and it uh and as i hope our book also shows uh it's uh it's uh so um, enriching for both uh scholars uh, on on jewish uh um, jewish history and scholars on romani history to to be in dialogue together and uh um, so this is this is so uh, why I hope this is only a start.
2: What were the differences and similarities between the genocide perpetrated against the Roma and the genocide perpetrated against the Jews?
0: So as for for the similarities, it's actually I have said that already. it's the it's really uh, this uh, racist, uh, attack on a community where the whole communities should um, should uh, disappear so this is this is similar and uh um this is also why we understand uh, uh the term Holocaust to include definitely uh Jews as well as Roma uh there are, there are also differences uh because uh, uh, each genocide, any genocide is unique. So, uh, so also the genocide of Roma is unique, and as well as genocide of Jews. Uh, what we have found in our book as the major difference uh, was that, um, in contrast to the Jewish communities, uh, Romani communities uh, did not have. Uh, their own organizations, organizations that would involve include uh, most of Roma and Sinti uh, in a territory or in, in a state, or uh, there was also no international Romani organization, uh, which is quite a difference, because as we know, uh, Nazis have misused uh, the fact uh, that uh, there are Jewish religious communities and they uh th- those communities were uh, forced to take part in the in the in the organization of of, of the genocide um, and um which had both um uh, uh like positive and negative uh, um sides yeah. that, it was it was horrible that uh, that that it was uh, some of the jewish uh, um uh, Leaders that who had to put together, for example, lists of those who will be deported from a ghetto to, to extermination camp. Uh, but at the same time, it was uh, also positive in a sense that, for, for example, in the Jewish ghettos, um, uh, there was a Jewish leadership which uh, tried, in different, with different strategies uh tried to improve the living conditions in the ghetto as much as possible so for example in Theresienstadt, uh, the ghetto in particular bohemia and moravia uh the um especially children were protected they got better food and and was uh, were accommodated separately and, uh, and also the the sanitary and hygienic uh, situation in in the ghetto was was uh, uh, regulated in such a way uh, by by the Jewish administration that uh, that uh, it's remarkable uh, how uh, little diseases uh, spread there even though it was so overcrowded. And that's in, 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 in great contrast to, for example, the the camps for Roma and Sinti, uh, there were two such camps in Protectorate Bohemia, or even Leti and Hododin, uh, that were led by Czech gendarmes. And, um, and there were horrible living conditions. It's, it's known that, that the Czech gendarmes even stole some of the food of, of, of the Roma and Sinti. And, uh, and uh, diseases spread quickly. And, uh, of course, the first victims were the children. So so this is this is uh, really a big difference uh, in our book we have three parts the first is about um, family in during the genocide the last one is about family in the aftermath in the post war years and in the middle we have a part about uh, uh about the institutions um and uh, uh it's called interventions of institutions and this is the only part in the book where we have no chapter about roma because we could not use this 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 uh this focus um i don't know whether there is uh, time for another difference uh, but uh i from my like from my later research from my uh, recent research, I would actually now emphasize uh, another difference um, uh, between uh, the, the genocide of Jews and Roma, and that's uh, uh, which I find more crucial, and that's uh, that on one hand both communities suffered as as victims of racial. Uh, discrimination uh, in the uh, Roma and Sinti, mostly because of of the different color of skin. Uh, But uh, Jews were murdered as Jews. Uh, In context of Roma and Sinti, they were not murdered as Roma and Sinti, but they have another additional burden to live with and that uh, that they were they uh, were murdered uh, uh, <laughs> as allegedly asocials or so it was there was a word work shy so it's this an, another burden that not only did they were exterminated uh, nearly exterminated as as racist vix, victims but on top of it they were humiliated by this by this terminology. Which had an, a, a huge impact on the post-war and on the way how, yeah, the Holocaust of of Roma is uh, still uh, struggling to be recognized, and also when uh, uh, when some of the victims try to get uh, some recognition or, or um, they they of, often met the. With a uh, refusal because with the argument that but you were in the campus as as a criminal, which is which is awful, and uh, I think uh, um, it, we should recognize this this like double uh, suffering uh, in order to fully acknowledge uh, the experience of Roma and Sinti.
2: What sources were used in the articles presented in this book?
0: The authors
1: of the articles used a wide array of sources. I, I would say one potential commonality is that in many cases the sorts of questions that they were asking required reading against the grain to some degree. Um uh and that's particularly the case for the institutional um, archival sorts of documents. Um so Robin Judd, for example, used allied documents to look at marriages between um, allied service members and um, Jews in particular and survivors, uh, Jewish survivors, and the ways in which the sort of institutional and military understandings of family and of marriage affected people's ability to make their own choices. Um, so those documents, she, she's looking at them, I would say, in a, in a new way there. And that, that was the case in some of the other articles as well. Um, Laura Hobson for uh, used uh, institutional um, uh, Jewish and also non-Jewish aid, philanthropic organizations, and the ways in which after the war, also, um, their understandings of family had s- profound, surprising, sometimes detrimental effects on siblings and the ways in which the institutions deciding what was the right place for them, what was the right family for them to be in, sometimes s- separated, tore apart what what it was that they had left, whatever family was, remaining. Um on the other hand, Vola Bartosh didn't have to uh read documents in different ways because she conducted her own ethnographic interviews um with uh Romani families in the Belarussia and Lithuania, a population that hasn't like many um gotten a lot of attention and there hasn't been a lot of um interviews with looking at how different types of family, sedentary, migratory, those who were in between those categories um, were treated, how they understood themselves, how they were understood by the uh, Germans who came in. Um, so a lot of different types of sources, traditional, less traditional, um, personal ads being uh a surprising one that Sarah Wobek Segev read personal ads to look at how people described themselves and what they were looking for in potential partners and the ways in which the unexpected ways in which sometimes even uh, Nazi racial terminology ends up in Jewish personal ads as they categorize themselves and uh, try and understand themselves in the wake of the war and the ways in which they had been understood.
2: What can scholars of other genocides and students of other mass killings learn from this volume? How can specialists in other atrocity situations learn from your book's insights?
1: So, the well, something that I have learned from genocide studies is the ways in which genocides unfold in stages. And when we look, it, it's, to my knowledge, there, there is no situation in which overnight the, the extremity, the mass killing um, that we associate with uh, genocides comes in. Um, it, it's always a process over time. And as we look at a variety of different genocides and come to understand those stages and where they are similar and where they are different. Um, bringing the family in is one way to get at those questions and potentially to begin to understand how perpetrators of genocide function, the where their attacks come from, who they're aimed at, so that we can recognize uh, ideally um, some of those tactics before they reach their most extreme, stage. And um, we see that in some of these articles, both from the outside, that is the ways in which decisions made by outside entities affected families, but also very much from the inside of how victim populations make decisions and um, try to survive when not only their lives um, but their societies and their families are very much under attack.
2: What are the similarities and differences between Nazi anti-Gypsyism and contemporary anti-Gypsyism?
0: So definitely, is a huge difference because, as as we discussed already, uh, on the Nazis uh, uh, the aim of Nazi regime was was to to kill all Roma and Sinti, and uh, even though there is a very profound uh, um, anti-Romani, anti-Sinti racism, in especially in Central and Eastern Europe, where most, or South Europe, uh, Southern Europe, uh, where um, most of the Romani uh, communities live in in Europe. um, uh, we should recognize that there is this, this huge difference. Uh, at the same time, it's really disturbing that uh, that this commun- these laborious communities uh, face uh, um, discrimination until today on a daily basis. And it's a structural racism, meaning that not only are there, unfortunately, in most of these countries, uh, neo-Nazis in in parliament uh, who who deny for example the existence of the genocide of roma but on top of it uh, it's real structural meaning that uh, that uh, members of those communities have limited access to to education to um uh, they have problems to find a uh, place uh, to live uh, because of of the uh, prejudices uh, of of the neighbors, and um, so so this is also why uh, part of of uh, those communities are still living in in poverty. So this is this is uh, definitely very disturbing, and I am um, glad that uh, there is now. Um, a growing number of Romani scholars, because I think, uh, as in the Jewish context, it's very important that the history is also studied uh, by members of those communities. Uh, it's not. It's not should be done uh, dominantly by by somebody else. So this is, this is important. At the same time, uh, you probably uh, could. Uh, that uh, in my answer used the term anti gypsyism And it is uh, for purpose because uh, the more I am involved in research of Romani history, the more I am concerned with language. And uh, as I've mentioned about the difference between uh, Jewish and Romani uh, genocide experience, uh, uh, I think it is... um, uh, quite hard now for me to accept uh, um, speaking or writing about Roman Sinti where we would speak about them uh about as about gypsies or or in in the Central European context as or in in Czech. Uh, in it is actually my hope that uh, in the future uh we will deal with those terms as uh, with the N words in context of Afro Americans. We are not that far, unfortunately, but I hope we will become more sensitive. And in a sense, I am now. It's really interesting how this has also impact on my um, language use for the Jewish history. That the more I think about it, the more I have problem with the word anti-Semitism. It, uh in a sense that uh, it is a concept uh, it is it is a, a artificial um, uh, a non-nonsense concept um, uh, developed uh, in the 19th century in Germany and so uh, even by using this word we somehow bring those ideologies back into our discussions. I think it's more proper to use uh, terms like anti-Jewish violence, anti-Jewish prejudices. So it's interesting how this uh, my involvement in the um, Romani studies somehow has an impact on, on, on my speaking about Jewish history as well.
2: Many of the articles in this volume span various periods of World War II and various periods of the post-war era. Can you discuss the role of family considerations in different post-war trajectories and in determining post-war trajectories?
0: So this was very important for us. And and Eliana, please uh, add to it if uh, I do not uh, explain it uh, properly or, or extensively enough. Um, It was from the beginning, as you could see, uh, it was already in the title of our conference. Uh, It was, uh, I think we could add that as probably the third thesis of our book, meaning that uh, uh, the the suffering uh, hardly ever ended with the end of the war. And if we focus on genocide experience from the family perspective, this is totally obvious that uh uh the war was uh only the beginning of uh, the in many times very painful search for the relatives uh and um, searching uh, where to start new life with whom were because uh because in many cases their uh property was already taken or destroyed and uh and because uh, because uh, one often did not want to live on the in the in the space where you had these memories of of large families before the war, uh, so there is a huge migration of Jews as well as, as of Roma. Um, even though in the case of Roma, this migration is uh, is uh, mostly within the territory of of one state or this in europe so so this is uh this is one uh, point why we thought there's no way we can stop with the end of the war and also we think that especially through the lens of a family we see that uh that the trauma is uh, is uh is staying with the family um i must admit that uh, i this is again the, chapter of Joachim Schler, that it was uh, very um, clear to me, thanks to his study, that, for example, also those, um, you you could say, success stories of families where all of the members survived uh, in this case, because uh, they, they could use this contact to the daughter in Great Britain but uh, this huge suffering and uh, feelings of being guilty that they did not probably or they, whether they could do more for the other members of the families and the, the feeling guilty to survive. Yeah. So so those uh, those are very powerful uh, stories which uh, enable us to to understand more the. The post-traumatic uh, situation of of families.
1: Um, if I could just add, I, I think what sure. you said, um, Katka, about um, this being sort of one of the other major findings of our of the volume is is very important, really. Um, and in addition to what you said, I, I would just add that there's a way in which, um, because the Holocaust is so big, so heavy, so dramatic that it's, it's often pictured as a rupture, as whatever came before is lost, whatever came afterward is new, blank slate. But when you bring in the family perspective, there's this really compelling through line. And once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it anymore, that after, you know, after being involved in this project, when I read memoirs, on and I'm looking for something else, um, it's so obvious to me now the ways in which family before, during, and after remains a central concern for so many people. And the Holocaust, of course, it changes their lives um, in major ways, but it doesn't necessarily change that aspect and that um focus
2: as we bring today's dialogue to a close can you kindly tell us on where your attention has gone since completing this project what are you working on next as your current project what are you both working on now
0: so i'm now actually working on two projects um one is very much uh uh yeah, are uh, in connection or it's very close to, to, to our book. Uh, uh, I have a project where I could put together a team of scholars uh, and we are writing a history of a genocide, uh, of entangled genocide experience of Jews in Roma in Central Europe. Uh, the idea of the book is that we compare the situation of uh, Jews and Roma in the Protectorate Bohemia and Moravia, in the Slovak state, and in, uh, in, in Hungary. And uh, the, the preliminary uh, thesis is that uh, the policy towards Jews and Roma, the communities and Jews and Roma uh, differed that much um uh, the community communities uh, differed in uh, um in demographic way in social way uh that in a sense we may say that it was more crucial for a person uh, where he or she was during the war than whether she or he was uh, roma or jews uh, or a jew so so that's that's the preliminary thesis and uh uh, we hope to finish that book uh, uh, soon, so it should be submitted um, at the end of this year. So that's that's one proje- project. The other one is a different one, uh, again uh, with two other. Uh, or the the first one is with many um, co-authors, but this one with two co-authors, uh, Chad Bryant and Diana Dumitru. And we uh, are writing a book about Slansky trial, uh, which is uh, which was the major communist trial with uh, a group of communists uh, in leading positions in Czechoslovakia, who were uh, most of whom were Jews, and so it was one of the major anti-Jewish uh, political trial in in uh, communist Europe in the fifties.
1: I'm currently working on a project about memory and commemoration and grassroots efforts by Jews to think through and respond to what happened to them and to their losses through memorial books, through, they're called in Yiddish Yitzker Bicher, these volumes that are put together by transnational Groups of survivors and refugees from the same hometowns, and focusing chiefly on those um, towns in pre-war Poland, but um, thinking about the genre more broadly. Also, what it comes from, why it, where it, where they got the idea, um, how they created these volumes, um, why it was meaningful to them, and the ways in which they developed.
2: Thank you. I'm extremely grateful for your time, your erudition, and your eloquence in our dialogue today. I can hardly thank you enough, both for the time we've shared together and for this remarkable, important, and precious volume.
0: Thank you so much.
2: To our listeners, I'm Ari Barbalat, your host today on the New Books in Genocide Studies podcast. Today, I've been in dialogue with Eliana Adler and Katerina Chapkova. They're the editors of the new volume, Jewish and Romani Families in the Holocaust and Its Aftermath, published by Rutgers University Press, 2021. Eliana Adler is an associate professor in the Department of History and the Program in Jewish Studies at Pennsylvania State University. Katerina Chapkova is a senior researcher at the Institute of Contemporary History in Prague. She also teaches at Charles University and at NYU New York University in Prague. Thank you for your generosity today.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting us. (laughs)